It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone. Once again, here we are back in day two. Our next session is on the competitive advantage, hire an IO psychologist professional, Uh, (laughs) because it's something that I say a lot. I really do. Uh, Every time we're doing a work cookie podcast and it's like, oh my God, can't the rest of the world just get in line here and, and get an IO psychologist. And I'm now, I'm so terrible with the rest of the world. I'm all the time now out in industry going, you know what you really need? You need an IO psychologist to come in here and fix your issues to which they usually respond. What's that? So (laughs) we're going to talk a little bit about that. And, um, Jeremy, I don't think you are back. So, Dr. Destiny, let's go to you. And how do we establish this competitive advantage? Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think we all need a Tom. Don't we all need a Tom? We all need a Tom. He's our ally for our field and for, or honestly, he's an ally for organizations. If he's out there advocating for IOs, then like everyone needs a Tom, including organizations. And if you're an organizational leader here today, or if maybe your background is IO, or you're thinking of pursuing IO, the best of both worlds. But what's interesting is that not only are IO professionals thought leaders, we've talked about this, but they can be your strategic advisor. I know that for a lot of different organizations, that's almost what you become. So maybe you're hired for something else. And we keep talking about this. Maybe you're hired for something else. And oftentimes because of your knowledge, because of your you know, science practitioner type of role that you end up having after you leave you know, the field or, or, or after you leave academics, you typically show up as an advisor, as a, you know, somebody that helps guide an organization or a person or a team or any or all of the above. So it's really interesting that you can use that to tactically engage in solution development for your organization. So, you know, not only see us as these IO psychologists, but we can be your trusted advisors. So I'm going to go to an organization and I'm going to go, an IO can give you a competitive advantage. What is that competitive advantage? Well, I mean, we've talked about this in the other <laughs> sessions too, right? We've talked about how it can save you time, it can save you money. How many times, we talk about this in a lot of our work cookie podcasts, about how many, how much resources and time and money do organizations spend doing something like a survey and they get it all wrong or they're not measuring the intended thing they wanted to measure or they don't know what to do with the data or, 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 or the questions, but I mean, we can go on. If you would have hired somebody that maybe had that understanding and that that ability to create it from the beginning, think about how much time, money, resource, energy, all that stuff you could have saved. So if you think of it from a bottom line perspective, which is what an organization is typically focused on, we help your bottom line. So why not? <laughs> yeah. Money well spent. Linda Ann, let's go to you. 
one of the things that I really believe that IOs can contribute to an organization, and it so often is tasked to human resources, but human resource uh, professionals don't have, for the most part, the skill set to address proper data analysis and proper root cause analysis for the behaviors in the organization. And without that, they are often going down the wrong rabbit hole. And that's a lot of time wasted, uh, a lot of money wasted. And then what happens is they go, well, that didn't work. That was a waste of time. And then they stop, stop wanting to look at it. And the other, they, they think it's, well, this is a waste of time. Surveys are a waste of time. We're trying to do employee engagement is a waste of time, whatever that looks like for them. And so having an IO understand the difference between what HR does, which in a lot of cases is just addressing the outward behaviors, not the cause of the behaviors. And so, for example, if someone's not performing up to standard, right, they go through progressive and uh, progressive discipline or performance improvement. But if you're not looking at why that was a behavior for them or why they weren't getting um, the job done properly, or did they have the right skills? Did they have the right tools? Then it's not going to give you the result that is best for the organization, best for the person and most cost effective. So what IO can really do is give that adjunct to the human resources department in a big way. Uh, since I've got you on the screen now, let, I want to talk to you about HR for a second because you know you and I have talked a lot. <laughs> and my background, my experience with HR in the past was not very positive that HR was not there for me as an employee. HR was there for the organization to make sure that the I's were dotted, the T's were crossed. Uh, and that and if I actually came to HR with a need, it was, you know, that's not their problem. But I'm discovering that HR itself has, has really, you know, that's maybe really old school, that HR itself is changing. And what is, the, especially with you, where you're sitting, what is that future of HR and IO working together? I think the potential for that being the case is is huge. I think that a lot of HR doesn't even know IO exists. It's not just for IO. It's not just, you know, a general lack of recognition for what you, that you exist and what you can do and so forth. It's that there isn't even the knowledge for human resources to bring you in and be that adjunct. So I think that there's a huge opportunity there for IO to make the human resources industry or field aware of what is out there to help them do their job better. And, and HR people shouldn't be worried that IO is just going to replace HR. You really do need both in an organization, don't you? I think so, because there's a different, you know, there's a different aspect of the human resource role in most cases that may not be may not fit as well with an IO as far as what the legal aspects are, what the strategic aspects are, those kinds of things. So it, it really just, it you know, you have to look at it as a, as a, it really depends because IO has so many possible focuses. Right. Well, thank you very much for that. Dr. Modesta, over to you. Yeah, Linda Ann, I want to have a fireside chat with you because we were just having this conversation about the the shortcomings um, that most HR professionals fall into when it comes to those behavioral issues that employees often have. And most often it's it's because they the HR professionals wants to wants to, excuse me, 
have the best interest of the organization, have the best interest of the organization in mind, right? So, and that's not, that's not a bad thing. But on the employee side, they're feeling like this person doesn't get me. They're only looking at, you know, my lack of performance, but I've got so much more going on that the, the organization probably doesn't care to even know. But that all translates into why the employee is not performing well. So they could be having some mental issues. They could be having some trouble at home. And we know that we can't separate home from work and work from home. It all spills over into each other. And so that lack of performance and that surface level of why the person isn't performing and then putting them on some type of a progressive discipline track because they're not getting it together is just indicative of so many other factors that um, the human experience involves, right? So the IO person can help uncover um, what those things might be and look at it from a different perspective rather than the best interest of the organization, but the best interest of the employee and the organization and just um, and fill in that gap. Can I just, and I just want to respond to, to Rajanik for a minute. And that's, I have one example that, that I love to use. I had an, uh, a leader who was not well trained in leadership, wanted to be hands off. He had a person who was an excellent employee, but was, you know, expected certain things from the leader as far as direction. She wanted more direction. And what I helped them understand was that this person had been a D1 athlete, right? She had had a coach every minute of her life. Do this now, do this, change over here, this. And so that's how she expected to work in the workforce. That was not what her leader was giving her. And so helping them each understand each other so that they could work together better Rather than saying, well, she's just not doing what I want her to do, changes how successful that particular work relationship is. Yeah. And that's, again, that's where I think IOs, we can fill in that gap of, I apologize for the background noise. That's why we can fill in that gap of helping understand the employee transition from that D1 environment and the leader having that expectation, this is what I want from all of my employees, and and finding, again, that gap of, of how to meet each other's needs um, and, and helping that D1 athlete make sure that they are acclimated to the environment, changing over from that athlete environment to a corporate environment and the corporate leader understanding that this used to be a D1 athlete and doesn't know the the environment. So getting them adjusted and, and having grace, you know, for both learning those different aspects of both sides. Thank you very much for that, ladies. Dr. Jeremy, over to you. I love this. I love how our the our, our various CBOC experts, because everyone has their niche and their own practice areas. So here it's why hire an IO psychologist. So it's bringing in these very practical things from that everyone's been doing yet from different lenses and experience viewpoints. First, Tom, it's been, it's in the chat. I don't, I don't know if you have time to see it, but everyone's like, I love Tom's soothing voice. I can see him narrating my life. He, he, like an audio book. It, Tom, you've got it. You've got the perfect voice for this. And when we do finish our book that Dr. Juliet's publishing company is going to do, I think maybe you should do a, we should do an audio book with you nice. narrating. Next, there's an interesting, so there's this article from uh, Harvard Business Review. It's called, it's called the problem with using per- personality tests for hiring. But I think there, there's a small piece in here that I think is very applicable to what we're talking about in terms of 
because we were having that conversation about our about HR, and we of course love our HR folks. When you look at, hold on, I got to try to pull this over to my main screen so I can see it. There we go. Several studies have explored why research findings have failed to transfer to HR practitioners. And basically here are the research findings. What HR managers get wrong about the hiring research, and it's a table listed in a 2002 survey of SHRM members, the most common items answered incorrectly by SHRM members. So the basically... 51% of respondents thought that there were just four basic personality dimensions like on your disk or like an MBTI. So that's not true. Uh, being intelligent is a disadvantage in low-skilled jobs. That's untrue, but in 58% answered incorrectly. Being very intelligent is actually a disadvantage for performing well on a low-skilled job. Again, Integrity tests are not very effective in practice because so many people lie on them, which isn't true. Companies that screen, and here's the other one. Here's like the here's the main one. Companies that screen for values have better performance than those that screen for intelligence. So 84% of those answered incorrectly, which is false. So when you look at this, here's the narrative that it says. Several studies have since explored why research findings have seemingly failed to transfer to HR practitioners. Among the causes are the fact that HR professionals, and we we love our HR folks, we're not knocking. So let's just put in transfer to other practitioners. The main causes are that other practitioners don't have the time to read the latest research. The research itself often is often presented in techni with technically complex language and data and that the prospect of introducing an entirely new screening measure is daunting from multiple ang angles. Plus, there's such a wide variety in terms of their particular niche areas. And it, here it says it's critical work for organizations to understand what the differences are among individuals in a systematic way. So part of it is that ability for us to, to look at the research in a in a special way. It's not necessarily that we have more time, but because that's a been a, a focus and a foundation for us, who knows, maybe it's just we're faster at it or we're more adept at picking, picking out the pieces. But with all with that research acumen, I think comes a spe another special reason why companies should hire an IO psychologist is our ability to start to look at look at things in a different, in a different way. Because when you look at research, you get, I mean, we read how many literature reviews have we read and you get, you know, things that, that compete and the whole idea of, of evidence and evidence-based research, which is a big part of what we're based on, is that research, any piece of research, part of its job is to knock down other research and say, no, this isn't true because you look at, is the study replic replicable? So they might try to do it. So it's, ba it's basically this huge evidence-based debate which is good. So it expands our thinking in a different way. Just like uh, Rajanik was bringing her uh, an, an element of her practice, just, just for example, so let's talk employee engagement surveys. I worked with a company who, you know, they spent, oh my gosh, these big ones, it's like $150,000, right? For an, uh, that an employee engagement, I'm not going to name the company survey that that company spend annually. And a lot of times it's check the box. And a lot of times when you look into it and actually start looking at the data, which is quantitative and there's the qualitative comments, 
you, you uh, an IO psych- psychologist or a psychology practitioner can start to understand. Tom, I'm using my hands, by the way. <laughs> Even though I was doing it, you're telling me use my hands. It's better on video. So <laughs> I guess I'm I'm listening to you. But looking looking through this particular survey, uh, the results basically the, what the organization got out of it, the leadership and HR got out of it was we need more team building. But when you look at it and you look at the way the particular survey was developed, respondents were so boxed in. And the people that in, the other people that interpreted it, I believe, interpreted it inaccurately because what it really was was the closest thing. When you look at all the comments and when you look at the other correlating data, it was actually they just people wanted to feel a appreciated, valued, and also validated f- for the work that they were doing. But the item, the the item, the responses were all geared towards the bucket of teamwork that this engagement survey had. So I don't know if it was something they did custom for the organization or not, but it just didn't fit. So here the organization's all set to go and run a bunch of whole team. Like, let's go. They started doing, uh, let's get ice cream together and let's do like all these team building things, but it really didn't hit the crux of what was actually going on. And the other thing I noticed in the survey, because this it's just interesting what happens with the organizations and how organizational politics it, it creeps into so much. I noticed that the years ago survey had plain backgrounds when you're clicking through your answers. So you're taking the survey, but because HR had to, and, and these department managers all got together and said, well, we need to increase our results from year to year to show that we're improving. I noticed that the survey, the most recent survey had had all these like really in, nice images up top, company branding, clouds, balloons. I'm not even kidding. Birds in the background when they're like, how, how what's your experience like at work? Well, there's balloons in the background and fuzzy bunnies. So it's actually not so as bad as I'm thinking. So there's things in there and it takes someone with a critical eye to say, all right, look, here's maybe what's going on and maybe why the results are a little different and really what's going on behind the scenes here. So, and I've seen with, I've seen companies that say we've identified, you know, we're pulling in a consultant. We we've identified a leader. We need better leadership. But when you really look at what is going on, it's not necessarily leadership. It's more of the desire. It's more of their desire, people's desires to be better leaders and in a leadership position. So no matter how much money they throw at leadership training, at whatever it may be, unless they have willing participants and people in the right positions to be leaders, they're just going to be throwing money away. And it makes sense because we've talked about this, Tom, something about like 80% of of training dollars and and and, uh, resources simply go to waste because it's either check the box or they're training on the wrong thing. But this is just one example of, or two examples, I should say, of why it's important for to have that that other critical eye. I'm just going to touch on assessments real quick. Assessments is a, is a big deal. I worked with a company who was, I'll just put it like this. If you're looking to do assessments in the workplace, hire an IO psychologist because there's a lot of things legally ethically and data wise and there's a lot of repercussions and there's a lot of really simple things but very important things that you need the eye of an io on tom back to you yeah sometimes especially with surveys 
You know, I, I don't know if I've ever been working with an organization where surveys were really well thought out. Um, and then again, because sometimes, you know, you do these surveys and then you never hear back about what effect they had. You know, so once again, it's just checking the box. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. Okay. Well, real quick, one thing, Jeremy, uh, there was a request in chat for you to post a link to that article, if you would, sir. You know, the funny thing about surveys in the workplace, one one of the a young IO that I had mentored contacted me not long ago and said she had been asked to do a survey for her employer, uh, not to create the survey, but to administer the survey. And so she wanted me to to you know kind of kind of walk her through it, and and we got to looking at this survey, and it's like what is, what is this about, and what are they trying to do? And she's like, I don't know. And of course, my thought, my my first thing was, well, why didn't you ask? And she, <laughs> why did I didn't think about that? So so she went back to her boss and and asked what the whole point was because I'm like I'm looking at these questions. There's nothing quantifiable. I mean, I can't take this and give you some results that actually mean something quantitatively. And of course, turned out that wasn't really what they wanted. It was a training thing, which was some ideas. And so it wasn't really a survey. It was kind of a questionnaire, but anyway. So, but if they had just gone to the IO on staff and said, hey, we want a survey with, you know, these are our, what we want to do with it, then she could have created something that would have made more sense from the get-go. So there's that. But I want to circle back to, to the conversation with Linda Ann. I, I am always interested in these conversations because when I went through my program, IO, I mean, you think IO isn't known now? IO really wasn't known then. And my program focused on HR. And half the students in my program were business majors because we didn't have an HR degree. And so they got a, a bachelor's in business and they kind of got a master's in IO to go work in HR. And so a lot of the stuff that we did in my program was geared towards that. We did, you know, some employment law and you know, all these various things. And when I did my internship to finish my program out, I worked in HR. But in, in the situation where I was, because she took an intern every quarter, she had an idea what we were and what we knew. And so she was the HR person. She dealt with the, the you know, protecting the business, you know, those things that we think of in HR. And then my job was to deal with the, the, the people. I mean, she told me early on, I want you to go walk around. Just go talk to people. And of course, and I'm a 20-something-year-old costume. I'm like, I got questions. So the whole point was just to go out and to, to meet people and to get to know people and establish a rapport and a trust and a trust that I wasn't just running back to HR to tattle, and, and so the, which, which is easier said than done. So I had to go around and, and talk to the frontline workers. I mean, I was an industrial plant. And so I'm talking to the frontline people, the guys pushing the buttons and, you know, whatever, making the widgets and say, okay, you know, well, what's your pain point? What's going on? And, you know, at first they're just giving me that side out. You're just going to run back to the bear. And so I had to actually work through that and establish that trust. And I also had to work through it with my boss to make sure that she and I had an understanding about what my role was. And that I wasn't expected to go get the inside scoop and to run back to management and go, oh, you know, Billy Bob said, because that was going to just destroy the whole thing. But I could go down and once I had gotten there, I could go and I could talk to Billy Bob and he could say, hey, look, man, there's some problems here. We've got some some, some uh, safety issues or whatever. And then I could look into that and then I could go to the manager. And I have, most of the time, the manager doesn't even know. 
and it and, and take out that adversarial part of it and, and actually you know work on behalf of the the employees where my boss was working on behalf of, you know so we were kind of the two sides of the table that we had an issue with a uh, with an employee that need you know was trying to get some back pay and stuff and I had to help that employee write their statement you know this is what happened this is the deal and whatever else so I was in that role of more of an employee relations kind of thing, which, you know, is IO type stuff. And under the umbrella of HR, under an HR manager who understood at least some of what I brought to the table, you know, so that was, it's, so it's interesting now when I hear these things, because that was my experience. My experience was IO. In fact, when I found out what IO was, somebody told me it was the people side HR. That's my first intro to what IO was. I had no idea. And that's what somebody told me. And I was like, okay, so I'm in, sign me up. And so it's interesting to hear that, you know, people who have been in schools in the decade since then, you know, where it's more strictly I.O. and doesn't have that focus and they have a completely different take on things. And I find that very interesting. Yeah, I bet the world has, has changed quite a bit over the last few decades. Uh, Moira, let's go off to you. Hi. So I I actually recently just graduated with my master's, but my master's project was it in my degrees in I.O., but my master's project was actually doing a consulting um, project for SHRM. And it was like really interesting that like my degree of courses in IO and our program, you can go like either way, you can either go like consultant or like HR with the classes and like how you kind of um, cater to where you're going in your career. But um, so I really didn't expect like, oh, like I don't really care about HR. Like that's not that big of a deal. And I was like, I don't want to do the benefits and like all those things that people normally think of when they think of HR, but actually taking an HR class, I still am going consultant route, but then partnering with SHRM. So I reached out to a lot of their clients and kind of did kind of like a satisfaction with like interviews and just like, what do they want to see in like the future of HR? Um, What do they want from like their SHRM partnership? Because SHRM now has like almost like their own little consultancy inside SHRM, SHRM Enterprise Solutions, where they then reach out to like, I don't know, like big organizations, a couple of the, I don't want to name drop their clients, but there are like some big ones on Fortune 500. And then they partner with them and they create conferences. They they track, you know, their HR people getting certified in the SHRM CP. It's just really interesting to see how like, Normally, we think IO is, you know, how IO and HR really intermix and they're not really two separate things. They're almost like they're on the same coin of, you know, it's just how we're implementing, but we're all like kind of drinking from the same water well, if that makes sense. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, Elizabeth, off to you. Well, I hope what I'm going to say is not going to kind of counter, but in in creative play with the Moira, um, I was going to kind of piggyback a little bit on what Lee was talking about from my experience of the friction between HR and a more IO or in my case, learning and development, which is under IO, I guess. Well, I guess I'll just speak particularly to learning and development because that's like the area that I'm in, which is an IO area that in many ways, because as Lee sort of spoke about there's this resistance to HR. There's this feeling that HR is there to discipline you and keep you in line and all this stuff. And then like this idea of learning and expanding and growing and development is like kind of counter to that, that I've found a lot of friction in those areas 
And I'm so fortunate at my company that our L&D department is not under HR. <laughs> we fall under the, the umbrella of people and culture. So we're a parallel. So we really get to operate on our own, you know, merit. And that's, I really feel like so confident in the way we work. And it's just, it, it functions really well in that way. Um, whereas previous companies I've worked in, I worked in DEI at another company and we were under HR. And I found that there was actually DEI issues that got brought up in our DEI work that HR was in counter with that wouldn't allow us to address those issues because they were in counter with like sort of some of the HR angle or whatever, you know, obviously I can get into specifics, but so I felt like there was a lot of sort of almost, I hesitate to use the word, but like a little bit of like hypocrisy of this idea that HR is looking out for its employees because there is, again, everybody has that idea of HR as being a little bit more disciplinary and, and rightly so, like there has to be somebody keeping accountable but I guess my point is, I'd be curious to hear what people's thoughts are and this idea that like our, our field of IO and field like un, the, the things under that, like learning and development, are meant to be more expansive and trusting and developmental. And that that's can sometimes run counter to some of the ways in which HR has to operate. I'm not judging them for having to operate in certain ways. I'm just saying, I'm just curious to, to hear people's thoughts on like the idea of how can we if if you agree with that, how can we advocate or what umbrellas can people put more IO things underneath other than HR to to support that kind of expansive ceiling around it? Well, Linda Ann, I saw your hand go up, so let's go to you. So for me, I've heard often people say that, you know, HR is focused, is is very company focused, very disciplinary focused, things like that. And my response to that is that's not the case with a good HR. With a good HR, they know how to walk the line between both sides and know when to step over into each territory and how to say, you need to look at why you want to do that because the end result or the alternative effect for that will be X, Y, and Z. I'll give you one example. I had a, a CEO who wanted to implement some kind of, of leave, like very, very tightly regulated leave for people going remote. This was before COVID and so forth. And I said, you can't do that because their other philosophy was they wanted the director of each uh, discipline to have full reign over their discipline areas and run them the way they want to. I said, you can't do that because then you've got inconsistent management and you can't apply it equally across the board. So it's those kinds of things where you go, I get why you might want to do that. You can't do that, right? Or I'm saying to them, I'm advocating for the employees during the recruitment saying, you need to pay them more before they even walk in the door. So either way, you have to know as an HR how to walk that line and when to step into each territory. Does that make sense for you? Yeah, it, it, it made sense to me. And I see Elizabeth shaking her head. But let me ask you this, because I agree with you 100%. Is, is, are we seeing that there needs to be changes in the institutional, educational institution level of HR training? Or is, is it the, the actual job itself, which is sort of transitioning to what you would call a good HR department? I think that I don't know how long it will take for the, here's the thing. Most HR people don't have a degree in HR, right? So they, they came from some other way and they had experience and then they go get their certification. IOs have multiple degrees in IO, 
often, right? right. At least one. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what's going to happen is as the needs in organizations change, human resource individuals will un- understand that how they approach their job needs to also change. I, I think it's going to take a bit, though. And I think that that IO can play a significant role in helping HR understand how to, you know, it's it's like the iceberg. HR is the, what you see, and IO is everything else underneath. I like that analogy a lot. That works for me. Uh, uh, thank you very much for that. Natasha, let's go to you. Thank you. And I wanted to jump in on, you know, the last comment that was made there in a sense that when we think about HR's role in terms of compliance and ensuring that the organization is not at risk, part of compliance is also making sure that our employees are not at risk, that our employees are safe as well. And I think a lot of the concern that we have about HR not doing all the things that IO can particularly focus on is the fact that many HR divisions within organizations are very lean because HR is viewed as a cost to the organization, is considered a cost to the organization versus a money generating um, role or division. It's not necessarily the bread and butter of like, let's say if we're in media, our journalists are our bread and butter, not HR. And so if there is a cost to be made, it would be an HR first. This has caused a lot of HR organizations to focus on their primary goals, which is driving strategy, compliance, employee relations, and then whatever else they can fit in between. But um, I think for me, one of the... Uh, one of the what really got to me was the comment about the hypocrisy there. And I know that you weren't necessarily saying that there was hypocrisy in HR. But I remember working with an organization where the Office of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion was doing a training and said, it is OK to say to tell a recruiter, I want to hire younger staff. And I had to go back and circle back with the with the office and say, you actually cannot say that because you're placing the organization at, at risk because that is ageism, which, you know, is, you know, Title VII. And that is not something that a DNI practitioner would know, but in HR, we do know in a sense that it should not be a battle between the various organizations or divisions, but more so understanding how we can work collaboratively to understand that while our work complements the next, there are some areas that you cover that are your strengths and not necess- and, and my weaknesses. And I think that one does not replace the other. But to that end, H- a lot of HR practitioners do understand that IO, DNI bring skill sets to the table that they don't traditionally have. As we just heard a while ago, you're not required to have a bachelor's degree in HR. Actually, the requirement is a GED. For the longest, it's been a GED. I don't know if it's changed in recent years, but it's all, always been a GED if you look at CHIRM. And so, and a lot of people who are in HR fell into the role by way of, I was an EA and I just rolled into HR and just stayed there. And so I think that 
there is opportunity and room for us to not necessarily see it as an IO versus HR, but also going back to what we've evangelized throughout the entire day is really helping even HR understand what we do, not necessarily in IO language, but, and this is how I can help your, your work, your strategy, and this is how I can complement. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Natasha. It's not an either-or question. It's you really do need both. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. Natasha brought up a very uh, a very good point. The So many organizations are so lean on HR uh, or don't even have HR. You know, they just have some people that that's kind of their job on the side. My wife works for a bank that has... I forget what she said, uh, seven, 800 employees across several states. And they have, I think now they have three actual HR people and two payroll people and a recruiter to deal with all of that. And, and, and with no IO in sight, which ironically, this is a place where an IO can come in and advocate for HR. Because if you bring me into an organization where you've got 500 people and you have an HR manager, and that's all you got. One of my recommendations is going to be maybe you should expand that a little bit because that's an awful lot for one person to do. And HR, I mean, I get it. A lot of your support personnel are considered costs. I work for a company that anybody who wasn't sales was considered a cost to the guy who owned it. You know, it was really challenging because you had to make sure that you were looking busy kind of thing, you know, because you're costing me money. Well, the reality is in many ways, HR saves you money because I mean, how much does it cost when you get audited and found out you're not in compliance? That could be huge. Oh, you mean nobody's been keeping track of the I-9s? Oh, dear. You know, and and that's just fresh in mind because my wife's having to verify all of the ones they did during COVID. (laughs) So don't even get me down that rabbit hole. I've heard lots. But, you know, there there are very, very important things that HR, you know, strictly, you know, HR, not, not IO functions that are hugely important compliance and, and law and, and payroll taxes and all these things that just frankly make my head hurt, but they need the people to do that. So that's actually one place where we can partner with HR by advocating for them. We need you, you need more HR than you have to protect you and your bottom line. So it's not a cost. It's a cost savings because when you get audited, because you're growing and you're going to get big enough that they, You know, the government's going to go, hey, Mr. Company, I need to come take a look at you. And if you don't have that and you don't have that HR person going, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, we can't do that. That's illegal. That's going to be a huge cost down the road. So, yeah, that's definitely, definitely a thing. And really, I'd love to see things like, you know, CBOC and an organization like SHRM work together on the partner and advocating for each other because it is two sides of the coin, really. I mean, you know, somebody put in the chat earlier about the looking outward versus looking inward. And most HR people don't have that degree. They don't have that psychology background. They don't know about causes, you know, root cause of behavior. And it is more carrot and stick where we can come in and, and look at it and go, okay, well, why is this happening? How can we do this interesting way about how this stuff works when, when I was still in uniform I got called in a disciplinary review boards on a regular basis. And I often, just by asking the right questions, found out that it wasn't what we were there for. 
that the person that was supposedly in trouble because they did A, the issue was actually B. And a lot of times, instead of disciplining this person, we got them help. But it was because I had the background to ask the right questions to get to that root cause instead of just going, well, you know, you you did this and you crossed the line. And, I'm, you know, that foot's across the line, I'm going to cut the toes off. You won't do that again. And instead of that, we got somebody help. We took a liability and turned it into a, a benefit. Yeah, great advice. Um, Andrea, let's go to you. Thank you. I had two things. One, one actually just to bonus off what Lee just said, and that was a par- about a partnership. And one of the things that I found and being on, a, on the learning, so I've got a broad background, HR, learning and development, career development, I'm a coach, um, done a lot of different things. And one of the things that I learned, certainly on the learning and development side, um, even the coaching side, is I've partnered with some folks who are more of our uh, data experts or our um, data analysts, which are in many regards where our IOs fall, to be quite honest, in the organization doing some of that work. I found that it's a combination of in order to make sense of the data, you need to have people who understand the processes and people who are data experts, which means you really need your IOs to be able to help you to do the quantitative analysis and people who are the HR experts to understand all of the HR processes to make sense of why the data that you came up with about the recruiting process really makes sense. Um, I found that with regard to my courses, for instance, when I was a program manager on the learning and development side. Um, So I think that that's one piece about the partnership. I think another thing that um, someone asked Linda sort of the question about is, how do you know, you know, which HR organizations are going to be sort of, I'll use the word progressive, right? Who are going to embody more of these values that are important to you as an IO. And I would say one of the ways that you might be able to do that is if you're talking with your um, HR folks is to see if they have any, what kind of work they might be doing in terms of evolving their HR function. Um, For those of you who are maybe DEIA experts, you probably have heard of maybe a model in terms of maturity of DEIA and where you are in the process. There are similar models for HR as well. And so for people who um, are in HR and are using those models, they may be more along the lines of doing work that incorporates some of the things that you are more interested in doing um, as an IO. Um, So just something to keep in mind there. Very, very interesting. Alexander, let's go to you. Um, Is this the spot where you guys wanted me to speak about what I do? Well, I don't think it would hurt. Let's do it. Okay. So what I do is work within IT and we try to provide essentially the same equivalent as evidence-based HR as it is for evidence-based IT. We research how IT systems affect users. This could be simple things such as which operating system is best for ADHD or autistic users. We could also look at which operating um, shared platforms like Google Workspace versus Microsoft 365 increases productivity, increases employee retention. And those are the things that we do as our type of IO research within IT. And so that is essentially what we're trying to understand is get a solid base of how IT systems affect the users. How can we maximize profitability? How can we increase satisfaction for employees? How can we increase our retention? 
we know that choosing a simple thing as Windows operating systems makes it where an employee is 200 times as likely to leave that company versus if they choose something like a MacBook or a Chrome OS device. So those are kind of the simple things that we do. And I'm just going to kind of leave it there. If anyone has questions, I'm happy to answer any. Alexander, thank you. Thank you for sharing. I know you're, I know you're driving. I think there's, uh, I am. yeah, so there's, uh, there's so much there and you have such a niche area. Um, when you, when you can, when you get back, make, please join the Seabox sidebar LinkedIn group that we have and, and make a post in there because I think your, the, the niche that you're talking about, I think it opens up a lot of doors and a lot of perspective. And for those of you who weren't here I don't know, a couple hours ago, Alexander was sharing uh, about that. So we're we're definitely interested. And Alexander joins us from the UK, I believe. Uh, back over to you, Tom. Uh, you he's actually much. in Oklahoma. <laughs> he, would, he went to school in the UK. Oh, so, okay. Well, hey. And, and if you like, Alex, come the join the Pops Up. He's there almost every week. <laughs> okay. Oklahoma, where the wind goes near. Linda Ann, let's go to you. I think that I probably left my hand up. Oh, oh no, I did. I was going to say something back to what Lee was, was saying um, when they talk about, you know, HR being a cost, right? So often that someone else in the organization is, is picking up some, some of those pieces, right? And not doing it particularly efficiently either. But what this goes back to what I mentioned earlier about understanding what op- opportunity costs are. Like say, for example, you have a company that's that runs on billable hours. So you've got this manager who's doing, um, whether it's reviewing resumes or collecting whatever paperwork or doing any of those pieces, they're doing it at $150 an hour, $200 an hour. And that is not the best way to get that most efficient, cost-effective way to get that done because they should be billing that time at $150 an hour. Yes. Yes, they should. <laughs> so yeah, once again, it can be much more cost-effective. And, and Jeremy, I see that we're, we're, we've got about eight minutes left. And you know, once again, when we're talking about a competitive advantage, you know, I'm I'm still back in the space of, boy, if the world knew what IOs did, that would be a competitive advantage. So once again, we're getting to that notion that you always put out there that, you know, the oldest profession in the world that nobody knows about. So what other actions, or maybe talk a little bit about the work that, that CBOC is doing uh, to really get IO known? Oh, to really got you totally just took my head. This is this is interesting, and, and many of you will uh, identify identify with this. My head is. I, I'm glad to the question. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy some space for my head right now by talking a little bit, so I can get to where you're at. But I was looking for somebody had asked for that resource where I made that that 80 percent of training dollars go to waste. So here I go into my computer, looking at all my research for my dissertation, because I knew it was in there. And I'm like, oh my God, all these articles. And it just brought me back to, this is what I, where my head was. This is what I, all this stuff I was reading. And I wanted to go back in. This is how, how nerdy we are with some of this stuff. I was like, oh, here's a cool one. I want to open this. I want to look at this. And it was just like, so there's where my head at has been at is kind of like just jumped into the, this learning space. So let me go back. So you asked like some of the things we're doing for brand awareness, right? Right. 
for the IO field. So everyone, I mentioned a couple hours ago or yesterday, session to blend, which is a good thing. All of you have the world at your fingertips. If you're here, if you're listening later, if you're not here, whether you're an IO or whether you're interested in IO or what IO can do for your company, all these things that we talk about, because there are so many, it's just so untapped. And we've got so, the good news is, and this is where we, part of where we come in, there is research on pretty much everything. And there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of articles out there. And Dr. Patricia Delgado, the Bridgify Group, one of our CBOC experts, she's been here, you've seen her. She mentioned that it's 13 to 17 years between when research comes out and when then when it's actually used. That's a pretty big gap. So what are the big topics now? All right. AI is taking the world by storm. And also, Tom, remember when we were doing all our, our virtual communication stuff and there just hadn't been any articles on it? Well, here we are two years later. Guess what there's articles on? Remote yep. work and virtual communication, right? So they're starting to come out, but it takes time to do the research, then it takes time to get the studies out, then it get, takes time to publish. So by the time anything gets out, the information's already a year or two old at least. So that's one, one aspect of, actually, it's not even related to your question at all. I thought I was going somewhere <laughs> with it. So what are we doing with CBOC? So one thing we're doing, we've got the IO Psychology Podcast, which is, is awesome. Uh, we've jumped to the number one. Uh, we're going to start doing that more and more. But oh, you guys have the world at your fingertips. You are all the future of IO, or you are the, all the future of users of IO. And even if you you're in an organization and you don't want to hire an IO, for example, at, you know, start looking into it, start getting interested in it, read read some articles, chat with us. We'll still help you and and steer you in the right direction. But in terms of branding, that responsibility is all of ours individually and also collectively. So the more that you can keep, st- I say. St- Stay to your roots uh, in terms of the research and making things evidence-based, right? Just like CBOC, Society of Evidence-Based. Make sure you're doing that. Make sure you're not being pulled in one direction or another because it's easy to fall into, like if you want to be an IO and then you fall into the HR trap and now you're doing, you know, comp and benefits for five years. I mean, it's okay, but that might not be what you want to do. And you might get pulled into other things. Uh, we left off before the lunch break about uh, certain assessments. And because companies have been using assessments, you know, the right way or the wrong way, you can tell which way I'm leading, for many years, IOs are getting pulled into this, these organizations and they're saying, look, we've been using this assessment. This happened, this happened to me years ago. Look, we've been using this assessment for the past 10 years. And then you get pulled in and then it's like, all right, do I want to fight this fight? How do I want to do it? But at least make sure that you're doing things on the back end and making recommendations to your organization, to your boss, to your teams, to your colleagues. And the most one of the most important things you can do is to keep track of your experiences, to journal, keep a good notebook, because these are the kinds of things which I'm getting at, which is speak up on our podcast, uh, write a blog on your own, write LinkedIn articles. We've got, again, our members have the ability for their own blog channels, which I've, I've mentioned before, and their own video channels, and we have all these things. But keep a journal. Uh, some people prefer Evernote. Some people prefer OneNote. I use OneNote for it. It's amazing. Some people prefer uh, you know, a spiral notebook. Some people prefer a combination. But make sure you're keeping these things so that you can find information. Think of it as your, you know, these note, these on, these like OneNotes and Evernote notes 
are your notebooks because at some point in time you're going to be challenged just like I was today with that 80 20 and which put me down the rabbit hole of trying to find it but so do that but as far as what we're doing for the branding we're coming together collectively I don't want to say it's a side community of IOs because it's a completely open community when Cbox started the whole idea is how can we be a tight knit I'm sorry a close knit group of many that's our goal and we want everyone to to feel like hopefully everyone's feeling with these sessions uh we got some feedback that this was the first time many of the people that have joined us for these past two days so far it's their first time in any io type of community any io networking any io event so i just hope and pray that we're living up to the to the standards and providing what's necessary but we stick together we also branch off into different cohorts to do great things but keep in mind when you're looking at branding it, what i would say to everyone is do research on branding do research on market branding personal branding employer branding company branding read some books because the branding is important i've mentioned this twice already if you want to make make candles and open a candle shop now you have to become a marketer uh, an accountant and all this kind of stuff so we, we didn't sign up for this but for the past 60 years at least well i'll say the past 100 years who has built the brand of io psychology who has given io psychology a proper introduction into the workforce so these are challenges and we're trying to do our part in helping with that but this needs to be a collective effort because it's all going to pay off because in the future and by future i mean 2 months 3 months it's going to it's going to be this one thing that uh it's like what do they say bankruptcy doesn't happen fast until it happens or something like that i don't know if anyone can put that in the chat there's a good quote on that it's going to be this kind of thing with our brand that unless we get a movie with Matthew McConaughey playing Lee, it's probably not going to be this, uh, you know, aha, you know, flashpoint moment. So it's a gradual thing, but we've also got to be aware. I've talked to destiny about this uh, a couple of times. We've got to be aware of what might derail because we're going to have, there are, we're, we're humans. So there are going to be people that might be taking the IO brand and the, the brand is everyone's, right? There's no, no one owns the brand of IO. It's just everything. But we we also need to make sure that we're being seen and we don't go down that road, as Trip Braden says, as OD, where it just kind of fizzles out and people don't start to not pay attention to it. I think we've got a lot of, lot more advantages over that, but uh, be skeptical when you need to be skeptical. Make sure that uh, there's a lot of groups just like you know destiny and lee there's with veterans there's a lot of groups out there that prey on veterans because they want to take your money for this or that am i wrong okay right so the same thing with io we've had we've had and if you're skeptical about getting into the group i know we're out of time but this is important if you're skeptical about like who you're getting with or uh we've known over the uh, the couple years that people have like some people have had people contact them and say hey we're a group of this and actually had new ios who are new to the field no experience this is it's not good to hear but it, it create llcs and then give permission to those llcs to these other people being taken advantage of and then they get into these weird contracts where they promise this but then they own the per it's like so just 
put on your critical hats at like for what you're doing and how, you know, take advantage of opportunities though, for sure. If somebody wants to work on a project with you, great. If somebody says, Hey, come shadow me. Absolutely. Uh, But we're here for that. Also, IO used to be this kind of thing where you could be the most important IO in the world, but you feel like you're on the outside. It still is. This kind of community and the whole reason Seabox started in the first place was what did we not have when we graduated? And it's the connection, the the ability to talk. IO has become in the past few years, a small, like it used to be a desert wasteland, tumbleweeds. You felt like there's nothing there. Now it's actually becoming this, hey, there's a lot of people that know a lot of people. It's almost becoming like a little bit of a small town. There's there's good in that because we can all help each other with a lot of critical things along the way. But yeah, we're doing our part in terms of the, the book that we're putting out there geared towards helping organizations understand what IO can do. We've got, I think, 12, 12 13, 15 experts that are going to be putting that book together. Just like the podcast, we try to give good resources. We try to do these open events. We're going to, it looks like you guys have had a, many good suggestions about more that we can do in terms of events open to build that brand, brand awareness. And I think the most important thing here is as an organization, we're so agile that we can act on ideas and we love your ideas. And just our, by nature, we've got that entrepreneurial spirit. People come to us all the time and say, hey, could I do this or could I do that? We're like, yeah, go ahead. Actually, who was it? I think Ju- Juliet. Is, is Dr. Nelson still here? I was talking to Juliet last week about, I don't know what it was about, but she said, you know what? Seabock doesn't have enough red tape. This is too easy. It's exactly what she said to me. So we take ideas, no ideas are bad ideas, and we try to do what we can for the community collectively and individually. Tom, back to you, because I know we're a little late on time. We are a little late, but I also wanted to add, because I'm pretty sure that, you know, organizations are already contacting you to go, hey, I need an IO. And, you know, with with the databases growing with CBOC, you can find the exact expert that they're looking for. But is CBOC eventually going to move to a, a, a place where there will be like a job posting board for IOs? Yeah, so that's... Our first step on that is the re- the recruiter thing. The re- and depending on if you just came in, we've talked about this a little bit. Uh, we've got a, re- a really awesome set of recruiter packages where they can engage with IOs with their jobs. So you'll actually be able to engage with hiring managers in very in three or four or five different very interesting way. So the next step of that becomes where we can start to have some kind of a bank. And we'll have different ways that we can connect you. That is one of the main things is how do we get IOs connected with jobs and how do we get the jobs connected with the IOs? So absolutely, just need a little time. Well, what a great support for grad students, which I believe is what we're going to start talking about next. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.